10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwald, and thank you so much for choosing to join me once again. Guys, I've got another real treat for you this week. Uh, for the second week in a row, you aren't just going to have to listen to me ramble. Um, I am privileged to have a great American patriot, hell of a nice guy, um, by all accounts a fantastic family man, and he has to be, and you'll find out why here very shortly. But I am honored to have... Uh, West Virginia Delegate S. Marshall Wilson represents the 60th Legislative District in the great state of West Virginia. I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with him. Incredibly interesting person, um, incredible background, great story, uh, super constitutionalist, and like I said, a great patriot. Ladies and gentlemen, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Sit back, relax, kick your shoes off here in the treehouse, and enjoy. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my high honor and distinct privilege to welcome in Delegate S. Marshall Wilson, who represents the 60th Legislative District in West Virginia, to the Treehouse of Liberty. Um, the 60th District includes parts of Berkeley and Jefferson counties and the Eastern Panhandle. Delegate, welcome. Thank you so much for your time, and I know you must be a very busy man right now. Just I assure you, the honor is mine. Thank you for the invitation. Um, first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Well, um, I, I'm a retired Army officer, uh, was an infantryman, uh, did a tour of combat, commanded a company attached to the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force. Um, I was actually out of the Army for 11 years, right in the middle, right in the middle of my career. Uh, when I, I left active duty and became a preacher, and then I was a, a missionary living in the Amazon jungle. Wow. Uh, I taught systematic theology and started churches and trained pastors. And while I was there, uh, there was a woman that we knew in town who was single and uh, was living uh, having a really rough life and already had three kids, and she was pregnant, and she uh, came to me to talk about an abortion. I talked her out of it and offered to adopt her child when, when her child was born. And she laughed, she laughed at me. She said, you know, you've already got seven kids. I said, yes, ma'am, I can count. And so we, we took care of all her bills and got her through the hospital and got her through the delivery. And uh, she had twins. And, you know, we've been responsible for them since they were five days old. Um, and uh, they're 14 now. And it took us about 12 years to finally get them to the United States. I lived with them there for a year. And then in the intervening time during those 12 years, I spent four to six months out of each year, except the year I was in Iraq, in Peru with those kids. And uh, so I came home from Iraq, and uh, my wife asked one thing of me, one thing only. Mm -hmm. This woman who married me with nine kids, two of them stuck in Peru, 
And, uh, you know, I was not in real great shape financially at this point either, having gone through a divorce and, you know, trying to take care of nine kids. And uh, Julie married me and asked one thing of me. She said, would you move to West Virginia with me because I love it here? And I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, absolutely. Now, Julie is a, um, she's a medical professional. She has anesthesia. And she is also a, uh, a Navy uh, captain. She's a nurse anesthetist for the Navy. My reserve, and she's a captain in 06. And she started off just like I did as an E1, you know, lowest level enlistee as a uh, as a corpsman with a marine weapons company. Mm-hmm. And so here we are together, just trying to do what we think is right. I came home from Iraq, moved to West Virginia with her, and she said, uh, uh, you know, I got involved in some some local grassroots um, uh, political activism, just trying to trying to make sense out of what I had seen and experienced in, in Iraq with my friends and my brothers and my sisters who had put everything on the line for the Constitution. Then I come home and I watch politicians and and bureaucrats making a, a joke out of what we had sacrificed so much for. Right. And I was angry. I was angry. I was so angry. It's not even funny. And I don't get angry. I'm, I'm one of these guys who walks around laughing all the time and telling dumb jokes and and I was so angry, and my wife just said, uh, and Julie said, you need to do something about this. I said, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an infantryman and a preacher. I have no skill set for being a politician. And she said, well, um, you need to do something. You need to run for office. And so I did, and uh, kind of took everybody by surprise when I won the primary. And, um, and then I won the general, and uh, I became a delegate. That is no money when I did it. I had no money. I had no name recognition. Oh, the guys I ran against had money and billboards. They lived here their whole lives. They knew everybody. And uh, all I did was go around door to door. And I kind of live in the backwoods in the southern part of Berkeley County. And, uh, you know, so I had to drive from house to house until I could walk. Right. And uh, I went door to door, knocked on doors, said, Hi, I'm Marshall. I'm a dad. I'm a husband, combat veteran. A uh, formal missionary, and I'd like to ask you to consider hiring me to be your delegate. And invariably, the person I was talking to would say, "What do you mean hiring you?" Say, "Well, you know, if you vote for me and I get elected, I'm your employee." And so that would, of course, open the door, and we'd discuss what the Constitution really says about how a representative republic works. And uh, you know, I knew this whole thing, assuming that I was going to get trounced. And uh, I won the primary, and, and nobody was more shocked than I was. I gave everything I had, but I didn't think I had anything. Right, right. And it blew my mind, and I think a lot of other people's minds, the simple fact that an honest man walking around knocking on doors and talking about the Constitution could possibly win. And I did. You know, and, and then, it's funny that things happen that way, and I apologize for interrupting you. It, no, 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 please, go ahead. Funny that things happen that way because for people like us who are, I like to say on the show all the time, that the traditional God family country type of person, we have that dream. We pray that we will see somebody who really can walk door to door, you know, convince people of the quality of their character and their love for the Constitution and the values that we have. And obviously, sacrificing for those things the way that you did. I don't know that many people can back that up more than you did when you spoke with them. But it's like we imagine seeing a movie where that takes place or reading a book where it takes place. I mean, it's truly hard to believe that someone can take the initiative and to go to all of those doors. You know, I I lived in Berkeley County for a while myself, and I know it's a 
it's a fairly large area in Jefferson is as well. And as you talked about, it's kind of spread out. You're not walking anywhere down there for the most part. Um, but for you to, to kind of, you know, make the decision that your life was going to take another drastic turn and that you were going to be able to give so much back to your state and your country in a different way is just, it's so encouraging, I think, for people like me. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. The initiative wasn't really mine. I was just going to sit around being mad about it and probably get on Facebook and talk about uh, how angry I was. And my wife said, no, you need to go do something. Right. And That's I said, awesome man. Familiar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, the initiative was hers. This is not something I ever dreamed up. But, um, you know, here we are. I've, uh, I've done two terms. And um, halfway through the second term, um, I, well, the second term, I was also elected simultaneously to the Berkeley County Republican Executive Committee. I was a Republican at the time. Okay. And I was doing my, my best to uphold the uh, Republican Party platform of West Virginia because I thought it was pretty good. Right. But I was, I was one of a very small group of people who seemed to be doing that. So I, uh, like I say, I was elected to the Berkeley County Republican Executive Committee. And uh, one day I had to be in Charleston, so I missed one of our meetings. And while I was away, another gentleman who takes the Constitution very seriously was on the executive committee, called me as I was driving home from Charleston and advised me that he had been kicked off the committee while he was in the bathroom. Wow. And I said, I said no, no, no. That, I'm, I'm sure you misunderstand. You couldn't possibly remove from the committee because, first of all, you were elected by the people of your magisterial district. Right. That's a valid election. Right. No, nobody can just simply nullify the effects of an election like this. There are processes, there are impeachments and things like that, but you can't just suddenly decide that you don't want to put up with a guy when you're not even the people who elected him. Right. And he said, no, they, they kicked me off the committee. So I called uh, the chairwoman of the Republican Party, West Virginia Republican Party, and tried to discuss this with her, and her response was, well, you need to learn how to get along with people. Unbelievable. I said, I'm, I said I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't understand how that's relevant to what we're discussing. And that started a, an ongoing conversation in which I tried to engage her in discussing how we were um, running the Republican Party in West Virginia and what we needed to do to actually uphold the principles that we claimed were ours. And uh, it, ended with, uh, um, it ended with me asking for her to step down publicly. I wrote an open letter, had it published in various sources because she wasn't talking to me and she wouldn't listen to me. Right. So ultimately, I left the Republican Party and I became an independent simply because I cannot allow my name to be associated with that kind of chicanery. Right. So I became an independent. And in the middle of all this, uh, I finished up my graduate degree. I've got a master's now in uh, national security. Um, and uh, I, uh, I finished that up. And, and this was never supposed to be a career for me. I mean, I don't believe that we should have people who live in the House of Delegates or the Senate or the Congress. They should do a couple terms and then go on with lives. So um, in the process of this, like I say, I, I completed uh, grad school. And also one of the other things that I did was that I, we finally managed to get permission, the, the um, immigration visas for our twins that we did out there in Peru. So we were finally able to bring them home. And meanwhile, um, I, I you know, I retired from the Army. So what this did was all of these things together made it possible for me to move forward with my life and my career, which I want to be involved in national security policy at the national level. 
and uh, that's what I've been working toward all this time. Well, and, so I've been looking at- and, and having having been a minister, I think that you understand certainly what a calling is, and me yes, looking at it as a layman from the outside. You know, I just see the way things lined up in your life and what your core beliefs are and how important these things are to you. And I, I almost would look at that as a second calling, if I might be bold enough to say that. I, um, you know, I, I just follow my principles. And this is where they've led me, and I believe that's what a calling is. A calling is just a mission that becomes obvious to you based on the situation you're in and the principles you adhere to. Right. I, I wish we could have 330 million that had you know, similar callings and similar desires. I want to get into um, a little bit about what's going on right now. I mean, obviously, we've got the COVID-19 pandemic. All of the uh, state and federal governments are trying to coordinate their individual responses, um, how the feds are working with the states, exactly what our approach is going to be in all of this. And, you know, I think states have taken different approaches. It's kind of piecemeal, of course. You know, that's that's what our Constitution mandates, is that the states do have their rights, um, supported by the federal government, of course. But I, I'm curious as to exactly what the role of the West Virginia State Legislature has been in all of this. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, let me, uh, let me give you a little bit more background on me, if you don't mind. No, please. I was part of the team that rewrote Louisiana's All-Hazards Operations Plan after um, – after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. Um, I also uh, worked in Maryland. I ran the emergency operations uh, uh, command post there for the field operations. I helped to write parts of their plan. So I've got a little bit of a background in emergency operations, civil military operations. Right. Sir? I said I would say just a little bit. I've got Got a little bit of a background in that. Of course, pandemic is one of those potential civil military operations. Um, so I, I also have a background in in figuring out how uh, to to coordinate the responses of the various agencies uh, so they're most effective, but also so that they're legal and work under the Constitution. And uh, it is absolutely critical that we maintain our constitutional form of government while we help each other out. And um, there are things that need to be done, things that absolutely have to be done that are critical, that people uh, want to give to the government because they think that the government is big enough and has the resources it needs to handle those issues. But those, those issues are not in the government's lane. Those are not government tasks. It's frightening um, to me how some people do look at that. You talked about um, your reasoning behind leaving the Republican Party, and I did the same thing years ago for a different reason. Um, but that was when George W. Bush put in place the warrantless wiretapping program. And yeah. as you're discussing, you know, our responses to any kind of national tragedy that we face, or even on a local level, um, has to be within the realm of the Constitution. And when I looked at a president you know, from my party that was absolutely walking all over the Constitution, you know, I went to my local MVA that day, you know, because I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to be associated with that. Um, right. And I, I think so many of not only our our politicians and our elected leaders um, don't care necessarily or will ignore parts of the Constitution – it scares me that our fellow citizens are in the same place. You know, when you listen to people talk about the things that we need to do to combat this virus, 
you know, they, oh, we're all in this together. Oh, we have to flatten the curve. Oh, we have to social distance. Oh, we have to do that. We have to do this. And I understand that there are things that do need to be done, but when the media message is consistently the same and you have private party enterprises that are pushing the same message, it really starts to seem like a propaganda campaign. And what scares me to death is that it appears to be working. Yeah, well, there's more to it than that. There's a lot more. And I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm going to kind of go off here for a second. Um, All right, first of all, there's a huge difference between what we need to do and what the government has a right to mandate. Right. Huge, massive difference between the two. Now, there are things that you absolutely should do that no government agent has the right to look you in the eye and tell you to do. And here's the thing that you must understand about laws, about executive orders, about uh, about you know, government edicts, every single time that you are discussing a law, every single time you're discussing an executive order or anything along these lines, what you are ultimately saying is, this is the government looking you in the eye and saying, do what I'm telling you or I will shoot you in the face. Right. Period. That's what a law is. Now, there are times that that is appropriate. Very few, very far between. Sure. But there are a couple of them, and that's why we have a government. That government needs to be small, needs to be focused on doing its job, and needs to leave everything else to everyone else because because you don't have the right to shoot somebody in the face over everything. Amen. It's that simple. It sounds like like you would have done well to have a desk in uh, Independence Hall there about 240 years ago or so because from all of the reading and the studying that I've done, that was the approach that our founders took, as you very well know. Um, when the Constitution was written, it was written to limit government. You know, it didn't give government power, it restricted government. And when the Bill of Rights was installed, you know, that was to directly list some of the rights that are guaranteed to the people. It's not a complete list. Um, But the ones that we have, I mean, you cannot take those away. They can't be abridged. It's just that simple. I look at Michigan. They are unalienable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they are granted to us by our creator and not by the government. Amen. And I think so. They are inherent to who we are right. as individual, natural human beings. Right. I mean, you look at look at the First Amendment, just the First Amendment. You know, the state of Michigan has outlawed, quote unquote, non-essential advertising of or I'm sorry, advertising of non-essential products. That's freedom of speech. You look at the fact that we can't peaceably assemble anymore. You know, that speaks for itself. Can people in this country practice their religion the way they choose to? Can they just wake up and go to church on Sunday morning or Saturday night or Wednesday evening, whenever they go? You know, and it's it's on down the line. And it, like I said, it scares me so much, not even that the people that we elected are doing these things, but that the American populace, for the most part, is so complicit in allowing it to happen. Okay, yeah, that's that's a critical point. Now let's talk about this. The way I see it, there are four different levels of being engaged in this, okay? Yes, sir. One is your average person on the street who is, like you say, complicit, but they're complicit out of fear, out of mistrust of themselves and their own capabilities, and out of mistrust of their neighbors and their intent, and out of trust in the government because of its uh, large, I call them the marble mausoleums, their big buildings and their powerful agencies and all this kind of stuff. So people trust them. 
Right. That's all the more reason you shouldn't trust them. Exactly. You know, the peop- the government is just a bunch of people. It's just a bunch of people. So if you don't trust your neighbors to act the way you want them to, why in the world would you trust a bunch of people you can't even see right. to do exactly what's right? So that's level one. Level two is uh, the ones that I call basically capos. And if you know the history of the the, the capos, the, the Nazi party and, and their actions in the Jewish community and um, in, in Europe, so the capos were uh, those of the prisoners who would um, who would rat on the uh, on the, on the other prisoners to the to the Nazis, to the guards, to the soldiers. Right. And then, of course, what you've got is you've got who uh, Stalin called the, uh, the useful idiots. Those are the people who think they're part of the party, who think that they're part of the movement, who think that they're going to be part of the ruling class, and so they go along with it all. And, uh, you know, they're, they're moving everything forward, progress, until the point that they get to the point that they get lined up against a wall and shot, because they, they were just being used. So anyway, they're not useful anymore. Right. And then you've got what I call the burgeoning oligarchs, burgeoning oligarchy. And those are the people who are absolutely prepared to pick up the reins of our society when it falls apart and establish themselves as our tyrants. And they are there. They are real people. And, uh, you know, this is this is not some weird conspiracy theory I'm talking about. This is just human history. This is the way people are. This is the way things work. And I want to I want to throw in one more editorial note, if you don't mind. Normally, my discussion with people, whether it's in person or on Facebook, I do a lot of discussions on Facebook. I think you probably noticed that. Yes, and I, I welcome all your listeners to engage with me on Facebook. I really appreciate that. But one thing I get accused of all the time is not taking the illness seriously. Jason, my, my wife is in New York City right now working at a civilian hospital. The Navy sent her there. God bless her. I help out. Well, he has, and, and, you know, she's very professional, and she's doing her job, and she's taking care of herself, and she knows that we're, we're counting on her to come home and, and be here with us as soon as possible, so she's taking good care of herself. But, you know, <laughs> the idea that I think this is some sort of a joke is asinine. My wife is there, okay? I take this very seriously. But the response by the government, they're using this crisis, blowing it up into a much larger crisis than it should be. And they're using it as an opportunity to tighten the news on their necks, to take away our liberties, and to establish themselves as petty tyrants, as oligarchs. And, of course, you know the history. You've read The Climate Fall of the Roman Empire. Yes, sir. You know know how these things always go. We're looking at uh, impending tyranny here. And, you know, I... (laughs) I could go on about it for hours, but I know we don't have hours. And, uh, you know, like I say, your your listeners can contact me on Facebook. Uh, any other way they want to get a hold of me, I'll be happy to discuss it with them. And please do that, folks. That was actually the way I met Delegate Wilson. And, again, it's Delegate S. Marshall Wilson. Um, that was the way we met is we were having a conversation about some of these things on another friend's page, and it was just like that instant kind of, oh, you know, this guy gets it, um, and the, this is somebody that I can talk to that actually has an understanding of the backstory, um, that understands what the Constitution was written for, that understands that every tragedy in world history has been used to seize power from the people. And once it's seized, it doesn't come back. It flat out doesn't come back. Um, 
so I don't go off on a on a tirade myself. I, I want to move on here just a little bit, um, and this might get you on a little bit of a tirade. What is your opinion of what Governor Jim Justice and his administration have done to react to and deal with the virus? Well, uh, just to let you know what I'm doing about it, it will kind of demonstrate what my opinion is. Um, I have contacted the Speaker of the House and told him that we need to hold a special session at which we can discuss reversing uh, some of these executive orders, at which we can strip some of these powers he has arrogated unto himself, at which we can reestablish our constitutional uh, form of government here and and reestablish the the balance among uh, power among the branches, because that is that is a, a safeguard of our liberties, of our individual natural rights, is that dispersion of power among the branches. And the chief executive has arrogated to himself far more power than he has any right. And so I contacted the speaker and told him I would like to have a special session. Uh, you may know that uh, there are two ways to hold a special session or to call a special session. One is for the governor to call the legislature into special session. They can only meet for the designated topic. Only that. We can't even discuss anything else. It's illegal. The other way is for, I believe it's three-fifths of the legislature to vote to call itself in. might be two-thirds. I think it's two-thirds. To call itself in to a special session. So I contacted the speaker. I said, we need to do this. He said, you know, I don't know that we have the support in the body, in the legislature. Right. And uh, I have since determined, based on some informal polling that I've done against uh, among members, that I've determined that he's right. Uh, we just don't have support we need. Right. Not only that, but some of my uh, more conservative friends, my more constitutional friends in the, uh, in the legislature, told me point blank that they're concerned, based on the current makeup of the legislature, that were we to do that, what would end up happening is the legislature would simply rubber stamp all of the things the governor has done, leave them in place and give them the force of law wow. rather than exactly. So, you know, I kind of, kind of abandoned that. But I have written a letter to the governor. He should be getting it very soon that uh, under West Virginia law, uh, the legislators can, can appeal to the governor to have him call a special session. I've done that. I don't expect him to. I mean, effectively, what my letter is doing is asking him to call us in so that we can limit his power. Uh, you know, you, you can uh, you can go ahead and figure out where that's going to go. I'm guessing um, it's not going to be successful. I, you know, I don't expect to, to even hear back from him. I don't expect him to even read it. He has made his opinion to me very clear last time we spoke in public. He called me an 18 carat ass. So uh, I don't I don't really expect to, to get any. Uh, feedback from him, but uh, I have to do my job, and that is part of my job. Sure. Finally, on Monday the 20th, sir? I'm sorry, go ahead, please. On Monday the 27th, I will stand out in front of the, the governor's mansion on Kanawha Boulevard on the sidewalk there, and uh, I'm going to publicly make my statement about what's going on, why it's wrong, and, and I'm not going to rant and rave and holler. I'm simply going to lay it out point for point. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to start from why the Constitution says what it says, the U.S. Constitution, how the West Virginia Constitution is derived from that, how all of that is necessary to uphold and defend our individual natural rights, our liberties, and then uh, explain specifically how each point, not only the, the, the actual uh, orders themselves, but the process by which he is presenting these orders, is uh is destroying your your personal individual natural rights and your liberties 
Right. It almost sounds like when uh, Martin Luther tacked the 95 theses to the door. You know, <laughs> this is why you're wrong. This is how you're wrong. And this is what needs to happen. Um, and you actually, right. you actually just answered what was going to be my next question about that rally uh, on Monday at noon. Uh, and folks, I, I highly encourage you to turn into that any way, tune into that rather, any way you possibly can. Uh, if not, certainly read the recap. Um, I think the delegate has more than demonstrated his knowledge, his understanding, um, his desire to work for the things that this country is founded on. And I think um, that this is certainly a man who deserves our respect and deserves our support. Whether or not um, certain missions can be accomplished, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be attempted. Um, you know, as you've realized, there there may not be the support uh, in the legislative body right now, in the House right now, um, but I think a lot of people would shy away from even saying anything knowing that that's the case. And the fact that you continue to deliver your message, deliver it strongly, deliver it well, and speak to the people like me. And I would go ahead and say most of the people in West Virginia. You know, I mean, West Virginia is a special state. It really is. I, I know people in the media, you know, may mock and, and people tell jokes and whatever, and that's all fine and dandy. I can laugh at myself as well as anybody else. I was proud of the eight years that I spent as a citizen of the great state. And I think I think the, the statute of limitations is after five years that you're gone, you're not allowed to say West Bygone anymore. I'm not sure exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> But but I do want to talk about that as well, um, West Virginia being the state that it is, God, family, country, holding their rights very dear. Um, what have your constituents and any other West Virginians that you've had the opportunity to talk to, the, the regular citizens, what are they saying about what's going on right now? Well, I'm hearing a lot from small business owners in my area. And, um, you know, the thing is that I actually believe that small business is not only a right, because pursuit of happiness, private property, the right to do with your time, talents, and treasure, whatever you want, because it is an extension of your being. You own yourself, so you own whatever you produce, whatever you create. Um, nobody has any business taking away your business from you. Nobody has that right. Right. Um, that is a natural right that is inherent to your being that you can do with what you create, what you, what you earn, uh, whatever you want. And that right is being denied to people right now. Um, so I've spoken with a lot of uh, small business owners, and, and I want you to understand that small business is not just a matter of somebody exercising their rights. And it's not just a way to hire a bunch of people in your district, although those are important issues. It's a national security issue because what ends up happening is the more power and the more influence is centralized, the less free you are. Now, whether that's in, in health care or whether that's in government or whether it's in, in the legal profession or whether it's in churches or, or, you know, whether it's in business, whether it's in the, you know, the economy. The more power is centralized, the less power you have. The more that um, control is centralized, the less liberty you as an individual have. We need small businesses. Our way of life depends on locally owned small businesses, and we have got, we have got to allow them to do their job. I'm not talking about protecting them. I'm not talking about uh, giving them a bunch of uh, uh, taxpayer money. I'm, I'm against that from just about every perspective you can imagine. Giving anyone your money that's been confiscated from you by the government. Um, 
you know, but but they've got to be allowed to do what they're called to do, what they're equipped to do, and what they they spent their lives trying to build. They they have a right to that. Right. And understanding that absolute power, of course, we know what that does, and we see it demonstrated more. Absolutely. Yeah, more on a daily basis. Um, I do have one major bone that I have to pick with you. Um, yes, sir. And this is something that I'm extremely upset about, to be perfectly honest with you. In February, you announced that you were not going to seek a third term in the legislature, and you mentioned that at the top as well. Um, if you don't mind my asking, do you have further political aspirations? Do you have something that you have your sights set on? Do you plan to return to the private sector? Um, what are your plans going forward? Because it, it scares me, to be perfectly honest with you, that we have a strong um, constitutional you know, forceful, powerful voice out there that's being presented, you know, in a peaceful and calm and professional manner. It scares me to lose somebody like that. You know, we, we this, you, you humbled me. You really do. I but it, it, don't know how to respond to that, but I will go ahead and answer the question. So my intent is to, uh, as I said, use my master's degree in my 20 years of service in the military and my experience around the world to uh, work in national defense policy. That is my intent. Um, I have endorsed Michael Folk, uh, who is also from from Berkeley County and is a former delegate. He and I shared an office, and I know this man well. His principles are dead on target. Um, his work ethic is... There, there is no one in, who's ever served in the House that I know of who's ever worked as hard as that guy. Uh, he has a degree in economics. He is a professional commercial pilot. He is a farmer whose family has been here, I think, since the 1600s. I think, I think he, his the original land grant for his farm was from Lord Fairfax to his family. But the, he he loves West Virginia. He loves the Constitution. He loves our rights, our natural uh, uh, our natural rights and our liberties. And he will do whatever it takes to, to uphold and defend them. He is running as a Republican in the primary. And I want to let my independent and unaffiliated <laughs> friends know that you can vote in the Republican primary. All you have to do is request a Republican ballot. In West Virginia, independent and unaffiliated voters can vote in the Republican or the Democrat primary. I'm asking you to please vote for my folk. Thank you, West Virginia, for that. As an unaffiliated voter in the Democratic People's Republic of Maryland, I don't have that option. Well, the next the next point to, to finally answer your question completely, um, I am sincerely hoping that Michael wins this primary, but he's up against a billionaire in, incumbent. He's up against a multimillionaire who uh, has name, statewide name recognition, and he's up against the Republican Party leadership and establishment because they don't want him to win. The party itself, the leadership of the party is fighting against him. Um, and uh, so there are, I believe, seven Republican candidates, and he is um, he is in the field, and he's working hard, and he's been making great progress. But because I'm a military planner and because I'm a, I'm a combat veteran that led troops, uh, I have to look at the situation and see the, the way that the battlefield really lies. Right. And uh, here's the deal. Uh, I'm begging you, please, please um, nominate Michael Folk as a Republican candidate for governor and then and then elect him as your governor as our governor because he'll do a great job and however if we if we fail if we the people fail to get this man through the primary i will be forced to enter the race as an independent 
And I'm just sitting here, and it, as much as I appreciate your endorsement and all of the incredible things that you've had, had to say about Mr. Folk, I, I can't see that as being a bad thing. I, I can't see that as being a bad thing. You know, why would it be bad for us to have an independent to start with, an independent thinker, someone that understands the Constitution as it was intended, somebody who has given his entire life to the service of his state and his country? How could that possibly be a bad thing? I don't understand. I, I respect what you're saying. I don't understand. Well, it's uh, it's. I'm not saying it would be a bad thing. I think that I would do a good job, and I would absolutely endeavor to do a good job. And my background and my training, my experience and education have prepared me to do a good job. But the simple fact of the matter is there's already a good man who would do the same sort of job that I would do who's, who's already on the ballot. Please elect him. He's a great man. I have, I have untold respect for him. I simply can't. I don't have the words to describe the respect that I have for Mike Folk and how much I hope that uh, my friends will will help me to to elect him as the Republican nominee and, and as the governor. And I have so much respect for that opinion because it, so many of, of the people that we have been involved in politics in this country right now are me, me, me. Power, power, power. What can I get? Um, you know, the fact that, and I, I fully agree with you. I don't think it's being conceited. I don't think it's being cocky. I think you would do a spectacular job. Um, and folks, if you're listening, if you are a resident of the great state of West Virginia, and I do say that emphatically, it is a great state, um, yes, that then please do, please do consider the recommendation and who this recommendation is coming from, uh, in terms of who you vote for, uh, in the primary and hopefully in the general as well. Um, Delegate Wilson, I can't tell you what a tremendous honor it has been to have you on the show. Um, I want to thank you for your service in all of its patriotic forms from, you know, combat and defense of this great nation and the Constitution, um, you know, to standing up for what's right in your state, um, standing up for the things that matter. Um, thank you to your family. Certainly, you know, my best thoughts and prayers are, are with your wife in New York City right now. And ladies and gentlemen, whatever your beliefs are, whether you pray, whether you send good vibes, whether you just think positively about people, please uh, throw your support behind her that she'll come home after this difficult time and come home completely healthy. Um, and to your kids, man, I mean, it's just you, you have done you have lived the American dream and created it for yourself. You never took the easy way out. I mean, you got seven kids. You adopt two more. You could have stayed home and watched everybody else go into combat. You could have gone to school, you know, additional school. You know, I, I know you've got your master's degree since then. But, you know, I mean, you could have taken the easy way out like so many people do, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And instead, you know, you've sacrificed your time as a father. You've sacrificed your time um, that could have been your own in the United States military and again serving in combat. You obviously have done an incredible job with your family, and certainly I have to give credit to the captain there as well. But um, <laughs> absolutely, thank you. The, the fact that you, your kids seem to have those same values that you carry, and those values that I think are so incredibly important to the continuance of this great nation in the form that it was intended by our founders. Um, like I said, I have the utmost respect for you. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I do encourage all of my listeners to vote for Mike Folk if they're in West Virginia and have the, the opportunity to do that. I will not be at all disappointed if one day I can call you on the phone and call you governor. 
again, you humble me. Uh, I, I sincerely do hope that Mike wins. I have other plans, but, uh, you know, when you have a mission, you have a mission. I'm humbled and honored by your consideration of my family. And I want you to know that the captain is one of the finest human beings I've ever known, and my kids are some of my favorite people. So thank you for thinking of them as well. Man, can't ask for much more than that. Delegate yes, Marshall Wilson, thank you so much for being on the Treehouse of Liberty, sir. My best to you and your family always. God bless you. Thank you, Jason. It's been an honor. And so, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I have been, as always, your host, Jason Fornwalt. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, I always love to hear from you guys, uh, whether it be on Twitter. I am at Treehouse1776, at Treehouse1776. We are also at the Treehouse of Liberty podcast on Facebook, Treehouse of Liberty podcast. And you can always send me an email to my personal account, and that is JD Fornwalt, JD, F as in Frank, O-R-N as in Nancy, W-A-L-T as in Tom, at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for being here. Y'all stay safe, stay healthy, take care.